We're in Exodus again, chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. I've just figured that this is going to be part two of last week. Makes sense. Recognizing God's good work. And uh, in the ebb and flow of life, especially life in a church, you know, some of the things that we deal with, like this situation with the heralds is... Um, is difficult, very difficult. It doesn't make sense. It's like um, we don't like it. It's hard. And yet, we want to be a people that recognize God's good work. If you're a Christian, you're called to walk by faith, not by sight. You're called to be a part of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. And so your vision, your perspective, your outlook must be on Christ, the risen one. Not on a church, not on a tradition, not on our country, not on anything else. You, your eyes must be fixed on the risen Savior who brought about victory over sin. Victory over the problems of life. He, he brought about victory over over enslavement to sin. He did that at the cross. And we need to continue, you know, we, we meet every Sunday. And we want to continue to encourage people to walk by faith and learn. You know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It's not like you're going to, um, you know, there's a younger person. It's not like you're going to turn 60 or 70 or 80 years old and all of a sudden have it, right? Yes? <laughs> but you know what is true? Walking by faith will still be true. Not just walking by faith generic. Walking by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. In drawing near to Him through the ministry of the Word of God. Okay? And so this idea of... Um, this title that we had last week and this title that we have this morning, recognizing God's good work, is so that there will be a difference in your life for the glory of Jesus Christ, not just to say you're a person of faith. All, there's all sorts of people around the world that say they're people of faith. It sounds good on the resume of life, doesn't it? But you need to be a person that has faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And that makes a difference, doesn't it? That makes all the difference in the world. So let's not be a people that fail to recognize His work right around us. Now we're going to look at these three points here that we see in chapter 17 and 18, the end of chapter 17 and on into chapter 18 today. Recognizing God's good work. You know, they had previously um, had to deal with bad water, bitter, the bitter water, and that was made sweet by God. They had the problem of no food. And once they had food, 
Then they found out that if they tried to collect more, that would be spoiled. They needed to remember that it was just for the day, the manner for today, the bread for today. And then later on, again, no water for the people of Israel. Oh. So, but we said last week that these were no, these events, these circumstances were no surprise to God. God knew about it, and they served as tests. Tests for God, God's people. And so in various, in the sundry ways, you and I are tested. Will we trust God? Will we trust God in the person of Jesus Christ? Will we trust Him for what we're facing? And we shall see in this passage today, God's good work in the battles of life, in the relationships of life, and in the labors of life. We'll see God's good work. And that's the, the launching pad, the springboard of which we need to continue having eyes for what God's doing, His good work in our lives and in those around us. So with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of faith, we can see His hand of grace in the various issues of life. So point number one is in the battles of life. We can see God's good work in the battles of life. We're looking at chapter 17 in Exodus. It's page 59 if you have the Pew Bible open, page 59. Verse 8 says that then Amalek came and fought with Israel. No warning, just boom, here it is. Amalek came and fought. So the battle starts. Okay, and before letter A, before things got really going, we would understand that this could have been a surprise attack. Amalek, who led this roving tribe around the southern desert area, like a bunch of land pirates. This was a nomadic tribe. Most likely they had heard news of the journey that Israel was on. Maybe they had even heard of the the outflow of water that they had. There's water source. You know, you think of the days of drought that people have in in our neck of the woods, right? We don't have that problem this year, I guess, right? But uh, when there's drought, it's and especially like a desert area, you know, water is a precious commodity. And and here, maybe that's what had happened. They had heard so. This tribe of Bedouin-like raiders who took their name from Amalek, who is the, the grandson of Esau. Amalek was a grandson of Esau. And I, let me mention this reference. You can write it down. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 and 18, where Moses reminds the people of Israel. He says this, Remember what Amalek did on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear, why you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. This is not just a one-shot battle. This is something that we understand is going to continue on throughout Old Testament 
time, the, the timeline in the Old Testament here. So it's really kind of a, it sounds like from Deuteronomy, the report was that this was from the back end of, of uh, Israel's uh, folks, Israel's traveling nation here. So Moses called for Joshua. You see that in verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, and it's the first reference to Joshua now. We understand Joshua was Moses' assistant in some way, maybe a personal assistant at that time. We don't know exactly, but he called upon Joshua to go and choose, recruit fighters for the battle. Okay. And then we jump into the, the, you know, during the battle, let her be. During the battle, a fight began. Joshua and the men fought against Amalek. So... At the same time, we are reading here in verse 10. I'm sorry, verse, in verse 9, Moses saying, And I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and went and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So the, the battle ensued. And most of you, uh, you know, that have been in church for any length of time, you're very familiar with this uh, scene, this picture now. Moses at the top of the hill, and what does he have in his hands? He's got the staff of God. And he's supposed to hold that up. Um, I don't need anything in my hands to hold my arms up, and after a short time, I will be tired I don't have to have anything in my hands and just hold my hands up. I'm going to, can I have some water? (laughs) Right? Something. And you get worn out. And here he's got this staff in his hand. He's holding it up. And for the most of us, we understand, uh, we've been told, that's equating to Moses' intercessory prayer. That's the idea of praying for those in battle. Right? Right? Well, let me throw a little curveball at you. I don't know if it's first and foremost about him having intercessory prayer. And you stop and think, what was the staff of God used for previously? The staff of God was used to show something to the people of Egypt and to Pharaoh. Right? It was to show something of strength and of presence. God's here. And God's stronger than any of your Egyptian gods. So the presence and the power of God is what is symbolic there with the staff of God. And so I want to present, maybe maybe that's what you understand. Great. I, I think that that's an important piece of this story. That the, the folks that were in battle, that the soldiers that were in battle are reminded of two things, God's presence and God's power in their battle. I'm not saying, you know, we we shouldn't think of intercessory prayer along with this story. That's fine. Because it's important to be having intercessory prayer while folks are going through battle in life. And just so that we're clear, yes, we have battles in this life. If you're um, maybe visiting and and you're thinking, well, this is a war, that this is happening, this is a rampaging tribe, and they're attacking Israel. 
By the way, think of this. What just happened to Israel? Israel was just delivered unto free life. They were liberated, right? Had they experienced any wars like this in Egypt? No. I just find it very interesting that now all of a sudden they're free and what happens? Here's a battle. Here's a little war going on. It's something that I believe we can take and understand it in, in this day and age right now and what you're going through right now in your life because there are battles. The battle with the flesh. The battle you have with the, the influence and the presence and the persuasion of the world. There are battles still going on. And especially I think of our young people. You know, it's great. School's almost out. Yay! You know, camp season coming. Yay! Beware. There's battles with the flesh and battles with the world and the battle with the devil. So, so this idea of Moses raising up his staff and having to have help. Aaron and her said, okay, let's, let's figure this out. So they brought in something for him to sit on. And then they were able to help hold his arms up. And as that happened, what, what happened on the battlefield? Israel prevailed, it says. When his arms came down, Amalek prevailed. Okay? So just remember, first and foremost, it's about God's power and God's presence with His people. That's the difference He wants to make in us, right? You're walking by faith. Let's remember His power and His presence in our lives. You know, when we do pray, I think of a lot of people, they pray, Oh God, please come and be with us. What does the Bible say to the believer? He's with you. You don't have to beg for him. To, oh, please come and visit. Well, I get it with the idea of revival. You know, please come and visit. I get that. But Christian, do you know that the Spirit of God resides within you? No matter what you're feeling like, the Spirit of God resides in the believer's life. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body. It's the temple of God. We need to keep filling our minds with the truth of God. Not with emotional gatherings and whip up all the emotions of stuff, but the truth of God's Word. Let that dwell richly in your heart. Okay? So this is during the battle. Um, and really, I believe that this staff of God served as a rallying point. Okay? Uh, they're, they're kind of battling that they were doing. There might have been times where soldiers could have looked to that hill and re- been reminded, here's the staff of God being held up. There's Moses, our leader. He's doing it. Okay? So like a, a visible, physical battle cry, if you will, is right there on the hill. Moses holding up the staff. It's the rallying point for the Jews. The standard being held up high. Okay. We can take it to our day and age right now, right? Um, for American service men and women, you need to just hold up one thing, and there we go. We're ready. What's that? There it is. 
the flag. Okay, it's the stand. There's the standard. Hold up the the banner, right? Well, then after the battle, after the battle, it's it's just labeled quickly in verse 13. Look at it. And the and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Okay, Joshua is given credit here as the leader. He's given credit. They defeated the the Amalekites. And so following that, there's a commemoration. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, my leader now. He's going to be the next leader. So you recite it to him. This is important. We need the, the recitation and the reminders and the repetition of the victories of God, don't we? We need that. You know? To go back and think, for you who are truly saved and redeemed and, and forgiven, you go back to when that first happened. That was a great victory that brought you in to God's family. It's through faith in Christ that that happens. It's not through being a, a good person, being good in church attendance, being, you know, a, a real good giver. No, the only reason you can uh, claim this victory is because of what Jesus did at the cross. And so recite it to Joshua. Remind him of this victory. Remind him that God will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And then it says, and Moses built an altar. Okay, verse 15. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my what? My banner. There it is. My standard. My signal that I'm holding up high so everyone can see. The Lord is my victory. The Lord is my banner. And then verse 16. This is an interesting verse because different Bible versions uh, translate it different ways. Okay, um, the uh, ESV says this, a, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And this is where it's gone from the commemoration to the credit. All the credit is given to God. And God has, and here's the other way it's stated, God has sworn to have war against Amalek from generation to generation. This is what I mentioned earlier, is the ongoing battle with Amalek. It's going to pop up with Samuel in 1 Samuel, King Saul. It'll pop up with David. It'll pop up even all the way to the book of Esther, where that rascal and villain Haman tried to exterminate the people of Israel. You know what? He was related to Amalek. So, this is after the battle then. So, the conquest is, is confirmed, the commemoration is given, and the Lord is our banner, and here's the credit. The credit is given to God. And it's going to continue on. This battle will continue on. Just like your battle, Christian, your battle continues on against the things of the flesh, against the influence and persuasion of the world and against the deceit of the enemy, Satan. 
You and I uh, need to be soldiers of the cross, alert for the enemies coming, the enemy right inside of you, the old nature, the flesh. And if we're not in the Word of God, letting the Word of God be our counselor and our instruction and all, the flesh will manage to squeeze itself into a position to have its way. You always struggle with pride, don't you? Yeah. I've overcome that problem. Thank you. Appreciate that staying with me. See, that's what I was saying earlier. We have this ongoing battle with the flesh. Even as mature Christians, long-standing church members, the problem of pride still sneaks its way out and shows its ugly face. So, what overcomes the flesh? The presence of the Holy Spirit and the, and the power of the Word of God. Presence and power. There's the staff of God, the presence and power of God in your life and in mine. So, I need to reject that. I need to renounce the things of the flesh. I need to renounce the ways of the world. What do I do about Satan? I've seen you, maybe you've seen things like, uh, the, let's rally and, and uh, let's, let's go fight Satan. Let's do it. Let's go fight. He's the enemy. Let's go fight the devil. Do you ever see that in the scriptures? The scriptures tell you to resist the devil. Resist him. How? Well, with the word of God and in faith. Resist him. Submit to God, draw near to God, humble yourself before God, resist the devil. The devil is going to dish out all that he can to deceive you. It's not going to be so overt that it's like, duh, I mean, no one's going to fall for that, Satan. (laughs) It's through deceit, through false teaching. Thus, the, the example of the Bereans in, in, in Acts chapter 16 is great. They heard the Apostle Paul, and what did they go, go do? Yeah, they said, well, okay, we heard the Apostle Paul, but let's go search the Scriptures and to see if these things are so. They went and studied the Scriptures. So it is with you. We've got at our fingertips every amazing preacher around the country and the world. You can listen to him as soon as you leave. Say, you know, this guy, wow, he's great. We still need to examine the scriptures ourselves. We can learn a lot. And we ought to be, we ought to be a people of God that are learning a lot, but then putting it into action, not just learning a lot. Let's put it into action. We're in that time of uh, history now where there's so much at your fingertips, so much. And then I want to challenge you who are not learning. What are you waiting for? We've got some excellent Bible studies going on, connect groups, women's studies, men's studies. What are you waiting for? You're not learning. You need to be learning. And through it all, we understand this is a battle. 
So we give God the credit. Got to move along here. Not only in the battles of life should we look to see God's good ongoing work, but also in the relationships of life, starting at chapter 18 and going through verses 1 through 12. Okay, the relationships of life. Jethro, verse 1 of chapter 18, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for his uh, and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So Jethro, summarizing it, Jethro says to his daughter and grandchildren, come on, let's go. Let's put this family back together. Important priority in our lives. Important priority for Moses. Let's get this family back together. Okay? So the value of family in verses 1 through 7. Jethro brings them together. And notice the way this is written. How these verses turns our attention to Jethro as father-in-law. I found it interesting. You read this whole passage and chapter 18, and it doesn't say Jethro, the Midianite priest. It says Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. You know how many times? 13 times. That says something about the what is being mentioned here. The father-in-law, over and over again. And so the family's together. We don't know details about Zipporah and Moses in their relationship. It's just that they were together and Moses welcomed them. They were glad to see each other, we're figuring. Okay? But notice next in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Okay? In verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and the family and they checked on the welfare of each other. Verse 8 says, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh. And to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Just that one verse right there gives me an understanding of Moses started sharing the story of God. Moses didn't, uh, you know, fluff it up or whatever, just said, here's what's going on. And what came forth? A testimony for God. It's a testimony. And who's Jethro again? The father-in-law, yes. But he's also a Midianite priest. He's a pagan, by the way. And Moses shares the testimony of God, the story of God. Here's what God did. Here's what God did. And here, it, it was tough. It was, you know, he, he explains it and says, Moses is simply sharing a story about what God has done. God's good work. He recognized God's good work and he's sharing it. Do I need to, you know, open up that door now for you, believer? Right? What good work has God done in your life? Are we ready to just kind of open up like that to family members who don't know the Lord? Are we opening up to co-workers and neighbors like this? That it's not... Um, yeah, I, I get nervous. You get nervous maybe, you know, when you share a, a, about God with people that you understand don't know the Lord. You want to be ready in that way, but it's it's a little nerving, right? Unnerving. He shared the simple story of what God had done. How the Lord, had did He did this, brought them out. Yes, there were hardships, 
tough side of the, the story, but it ends up, here's how the Lord delivered them, the mighty work of God. And here they are, face to face in the wilderness. And the evidence of God's deliverance, of God's work is obvious and it's unavoidable. Because why? The, ver- the first verse in chapter 18 says, and Jethro heard about this. He had already heard. The word had spread of what Israel was doing and what God was doing for them. Simply put, here's what happened. Here's what God did. Here's what God did to rescue and save me. Moses shared the story. He recalled and he repeated. He put God in the spotlight. He exalted God. He made much of God. There's his testimony of faith. It's not like it's, it's, you've got to read this manual uh, on how to share your faith. That might help. But you can do it by recalling what, what is God doing? Recognizing what's God doing? And having eyes of faith and a mouth that's ready to share the truth of God's testimony. Letter C in this under, number, under point number two is the evidence of faith. So we have the value of the family, then the testimony of faith, then the evidence of faith. This is great. Jethro comes to faith in Christ. Can we say it that way? Jethro is converted. How do we know that? Well, you look at verse 9. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel. He rejoiced in that. Okay? He didn't just say, oh, well, that's cool. That's a cool story. He rejoiced in. What does it mean to rejoice in, in what God has done? Are you and I doing that? If so, that, that should be, that, here's an evidence, uh, an initial step of, an evidence of new life in Christ, that we're rejoicing in what God has done. What else? Verse 10, just, so Jethro said, he spoke out. What did he say? He gives praise to God. Blessed be the Lord. In verse 10, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Beyond that, Verse 11, now I know that the Lord is, notice this, greater than all the gods. It's now a distinction. He's dis, God is distinct in his heart and mind. Not just, oh, that's cool, you know, and, and, and you know, isn't it nice that everyone can believe what they want to believe and everyone will be happy in the end. No, he's distinguishing God as alone and exalted. He exalts God. He doesn't just praise Him. He exalts Him. And then verse 12. This is the, the topper of it all. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, there it is again, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses. Father-in-law before God. Here's, here's a burnt offering and sacrifices for God and then fellowship and communion and union around that little gathering. This is evidence of faith. 
And behind these, behind the burnt offering and the sacrifices, the understanding of there's only there's a main reason for that, and that is to have peace with God for the Israelites. That's how they had peace with God through sacrifices and burnt offerings. And this is how Jethro, we say Jethro is converted to Judaism, to faith in God. So. Union, fellowship, sharing, it all is happening right there. Well, finally, we recognize God's good work in the everyday activities of life, the labors of life. Number, point number three, in the labors of life. Routines, the workaday world, in particular, a focus specifically on leadership here in the last part of chapter 18. Uh, I don't know, you know, for... When my father-in-law was alive, I really appreciated him uh, complimenting me. It was one of those things. I wanted my father-in-law. My father, my own father had died back in the late 1980s. And so my father-in-law, Noreen's dad, uh, would, you know, compliment, you know, and say things. And, and he'd give counsel and crit- critiques and all that. But I especially liked it when he complimented me. You know, it's good. You know, you kind of want to show off and show your stuff, right? I wonder if that was with Moses, too. So verse 13, look at it. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. You know, that's that's a big load of leadership. And it's like uh, Jethro's there, you know, and uh, he... He makes wise observation. Wise observation in verses 13 through 16. Jethro watched and Jethro asked questions. That's letter A. Letter B. He gave wise words of warning. Wise words of warning or admonition, if you will. And Jethro tells him, what you're doing is not good. And here's two reasons behind it. It's double a double punch, a one-two punch. It's not good for you as leader, and it's not good for the people. You will certainly wear yourselves out. None of us knows about that, right? Wearing ourselves out? Burnout? You, ever, you, you know what burnout is. Moses was being warned. You're going to burn yourself out and your people. The thing you're doing is too heavy for you. It's common sense leadership here. He's saying, don't do this. Then let her see. He gives wise counsel. He says, here's my advice, and may God be with you. Be their leader. Warn them and make them know the way to walk and live, what, how they're to live. Then verse 21, moreover, look for able men. Look from all the the different tribes for people, for men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and who hate a bribe. Place them in various leadership roles in appropriate ways. Well, letter D is wise response. Wise response from Moses. This really demonstrates a great attitude on Moses' part. Moses was teachable. And most of you understand the value of teachability. You want 
you want to hire people, you want to have people come alongside that are teachable. Well, Moses demonstrated that. He could have pulled his calling card on Joseph, on, on Jethro. Hey, God, or, you know, I, I'm, God's the one that called me. I'm, I'm the deliverer. He could have, you know, demonstrated his pride there. I'm the leader here. How many times have you experienced that? You've seen that maybe where people reject counsel in the workplace or at home. So this is uh, helpful to know about leadership. Well, that's a look at, you know, again, this, this title, recognizing the good work of God in life, in the battles, in the relationships, and in the labors of life. Remember this, my friend. The Christian life is marked with wars and battles with God's enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are to claim the victory that Jesus secured for us. Romans 8:37. Romans 8:37 says, "But in all things, we overwhelmingly what? Conquer." We overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. And as we deal with the battles part of life, the battle is the Lord's. And He is our reason that we can claim any victory. So, intercessory prayer, yes, very important for us. But we need to remember the presence and the power of God in all of life. As the army's banner was put forth, now we can say, being under the banner, the Lord is my banner, I can have confidence and hope in overcoming sin, overcoming slavery to sin. Are you struggling with anything in particular? Know that in, in bringing this to God and continuing to bring it to God, there's victory in Him. Maybe you admit right now you're fighting against God. You're fighting against His rule and reign over your life. Well, that's why this passage and others like it goes on record to say the fight against God will be to no avail If that's the case for you in your life, I call out to you, please surrender. Would you surrender to the King of Kings? Would you surrender to the Lordship of Christ in your life? Turn your life over to Jesus. He's the only one who can secure peace with God. And without that, without Him, you're going to have skirmishes and problems all throughout, you know, because you're not at peace with God. We want you to be at peace with God. And the only way you can do that is through faith in Jesus Christ. So, we're going to 
move into our communion time right now. And uh, as we do this, I want to ask what your outlook on life is. What is your outlook? Let me put it this way. Who are you looking out for? All of us have an outlook. And a lot of times we're looking out for ourselves because we're in the control seat. We're on the throne. And so I want to challenge you all that we draw near to God. And this is one way that we draw near to God.